0: And do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one on answer to answer that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion. It can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously. But you think
1: of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode seven of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the
2: Western world i'm cam wilson i'm sammy shah hey sammy how are you going i am doing good actually and you know pretty pretty uh, happy even though uh, things are scary here in australia right now and you know as you know we live in a prison state and and we need the americans mm. to come and free us and so basically and i'm us. spending most of my time kind of coordinating the behind the enemy lines kind of uh, you know resurgence resurgency that'll hopefully uh, help the american invaders defeat our dictatorial governments yeah brushing up on your guerrilla war skills. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's just standard. You got everyone's always got to keep practicing. It's good for cardio if nothing else. Yeah,
1: exactly. And hey, have you finished up your uh, list of demands to agree to a net zero target for the government
2: um look i'm still in with my party room we're negotiating we feel we don't want to be rushed into this we've only had around nine to ten years to kind of figure things out it's not enough time um i was a bit busy having an affair with someone who worked for me uh and so you know i just got caught up in all of that and having multiple kids and things you know how life is
1: which funnily enough is actually one of my demands and that's okay so just yeah. want to make sure
2: I be allowed to have an affair with a with an employee
1: so another big week for news on the news corp front we will be talking in a little bit to gabby McCutter, who is a academic who has dissected news corp's net zero campaign in a really really smart way and i'm looking forward to chatting to her but before we do let's go on to news corp's news of the week Time to break some news here on Murdocracy, and I've got a little scoop. Mm -hmm. Kevin Rudd's campaign for a royal commission into News Corp and Murdoch is actually growing into a new stage that hopes to mobilise the more than 500,000 people who have signed the petition. And being announced today, working with the Victorian Trades Hall, the campaign is employing Sally Rugg, who I don't know if you know her. She worked for Mm -hmm. Change.org, but kind of rose to prominence when she was running the Yes campaign for the same-sex marriage postal survey. They'll be trying to push for a Royal Commission or failing that, or in, in addition to that, in fact, uh, some other potential policy changes. Sammy, how do you think that the actual campaign has gone so far? When when uh, Kevin Rudd started up now quite a, a long time ago to try and get
2: some change in the media landscape. Well, it's really interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, you know, seeing the the coverage around it, and I think Kevin Rudd. And this might be my uh, analysis only, but I think Kevin Rudd was. Realistic going into this about what he might be able to achieve in terms of actual policy change because I, like many people, am skeptical that we might see any policy change. But the 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 media coverage of it and the public perception that it has helped to foster and create, I think has been interesting. More people are now talking about Newscope's role in Australian politics openly publicly and without it sounding like a conspiracy theory or you know partisan politics line than before or maybe or maybe that's just my bubble maybe that's within my bubble which of course is a media lefty you know inner city melbourne bubble but i don't know i just see more and more instances of people talking about news scope and how it's influencing australian politics um from across all sides of the aisle than than i did before i think maybe that was kevin rudd's original plan and this seems to be escalating that a bit yeah i think i think that's right um 500 people signing
1: anything Mm. is an incredible achievement particularly about you know a media company which you know in the in the scheme of things can really be something that isn't super obvious to people like I, i don't know how often people like you know thinking about the company that owns the newspaper that they're reading or the television station that they're watching um, it obviously is such a big issue that's that's why we do this, but it to me it did surprise me that so many people were were into it, not that people care about it, but like just that it was that wide. Mm-hmm. I do think so far it um it, how it has gone since getting those signatures. it it did stall a little bit. Like we've got this Senate inquiry, which we'll chat about in in a second because there's been some new developments on that front that was uh, brought into effect by Sarah Hansen-Young, who we we spoke to as well. And, And that had to kind of broaden out. It couldn't just be, or at least it wasn't, just into News Corp. It was into media diversity in Australia. Clearly it is focused on News Corp and really used that, but it wasn't just News Corp. And as a result, um, you know, that wasn't, I guess, in a way, almost like the perfect outlet for this momentum. And so this campaign, which they have launched, has been kind of looking for like the next step. Like what are they actually going to do with this energy? And it seems like this campaign that is, you know, this stage of the campaign that's now being launched will be actually that next step. And we'll try and use that. Uh, to try and uh, to do something. Because at the moment, I think that getting it into at least a Senate inquiry has kind of, um, you know, I don't think, you know, the average person is, is tuning into the Senate inquiry. What they're trying to do is say, well, can we actually do something a bit more substantial with this and getting someone who is spending their full time organizing this, I think is, is a great step
2: towards that. I think it, it's, you're right. It's it, what do you do with 500,000 people who are interested in something? And I think you're right. You know, you know, mobilizing them towards something like this. The options are limited. You either do something, you know, which is what Kevin Rudd clearly has thought about carefully with Sally Rudd, who's very qualified at mobilizing people towards in, you know, creating social change or what's the alternative? It's, I guess setting up a Nixon-style, you know, sex cult or something, or or maybe a <laughs> private guerrilla army, you know. But yeah, we got to do something with them because they're, they're they're right there. We have their email yeah. addresses now. And an interesting
1: thing, actually, though, is and this is getting into the weeds, but I'm sure people will appreciate this is that so the the five hundred thousand people who signed they signed the House of Representatives uh, e petition, which is how you can mm-hmm. write a petition to par- parliamentarians. But because it was actually done through that, that doesn't actually allow whoever organizes it to access all the contact details of the people who signed up for it, unlike other petition uh, platforms. So actually, although there is 500,000 people who signed that, who said, I'd love to see something done about news court, we should look about potential regulation, whatever. Um, Now that they're there, that energy is kind of diffuse because... Kevin Wright actually can't send out an email to everyone who signed that petition. He did... Uh, actually, build up some kind of other digital infrastructure where he has, as I understand it, got quite a lot of emails and and I and I know that the details of this campaign will be sent out today as part of that to those people. But it, it does kind of show actually, like you know, even when you have so much energy, if, if you're not thinking about how it will actually be used, you can kind of hamstring it. And unfortunately, I think that's a little bit how it's done. That being said, I'm sure all the people who heard about this campaign in the first place will still be interested are in probably following Kevin Rudd or someone on social media who will tell them about it. It's not like they lost forever. But right now we see a concerted effort to go from, you know, Kevin Rudd, he used this, you know, the essentially the e-petition as kind of a set piece but now um, I think we're seeing a kind of more strategic uh, use of other kind of infrastructure to say, well, what can we actually do to mobilize people to try and get some change? The question is what the change will be. And I think we'll have to wait and see what that is. Yeah, it'll be interesting
2: to see how this unfolds further.
1: We were speaking of the Royal Commission just before and um, and the push for it. What we got and said, as I mentioned, was that Senate inquiry into media diversity. And it, it had another hearing this week. That featured a big name, one that we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, Robert Thompson, who is the CEO of the Global News Corp Corporation. He was grilled for just under an hour by Senator Sarah Hansen-Young, Kim Carr, Andrew Bragg, and there were a few interesting tidbits that I want to share with you, Sam. Mm. The, the first one was he spoke about the meeting that uh, he had with Scott Morrison in New York, and he claimed that they did not talk about their net zero campaign by 2050. He said actually the campaign was co- coordinated by local editors, had nothing to do with him, had nothing to do with Mur- uh, with the Murdochs. And uh, when uh, Scott Morrison, who who went to New York, knew that uh, Glasgow coming up, knew that there was a push for 2050, knew that News Corp was kind of trying to pave the way by running a campaign,
2: uh, apparently it just didn't come up. That's I don't know whether that shows that, uh, you know, I think, well, OK, here's what I think. He's trying to show that, look, weird, it's not a concerted campaign in which we influence the government and all of these things. And, you know, his attempt there is to show that, look, you know, the government's independent. They do what they want. Scott Morrison, it's not a priority for us. But I think it comes across more as why aren't you talking about that? Why wasn't that one of the top things you talked about? How non-seriously do you take this issue if you have the ear of the prime minister of Australia and you're not even bringing up the Net Zero campaign?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, these Senate inquiries, people know that they they aren't supposed to lie to them, but they can be very, very... Are tricky and specific with their answers, and he said that they did talk about Glasgow, but he said that he didn't talk about the you know the net zero campaign specifically. But you know maybe they talked about generally what uh, what on what could,
2: like what on earth else were they talking about regarding Glasgow? Like deep fried Mars bars? Like what could the oh, yeah. conversation <laughs> have been about other than that?
1: Just nice things to see yeah. when you're there. Good good eats to have, places to stay. Yeah. Uh, And he did actually mention they talked about a bunch of other things, including uh, Australia's uh, 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 little stoush with the French Mm -hmm. uh, and a few other things as well. But he said it was almost entirely international politics, which is interesting. Um, The Senator didn't actually ask Sarah Hansen-Young was questioning at the time. She didn't actually ask what domestic politics they discussed, but uh, I guess we'll just have to leave that a mystery. Another thing that they spoke about was Robert Thompson really kept the focus Of his responses, his opening Mm -hmm. remarks and his answers on big tech. So he opened up by talking about these Facebook files, which was this big investigation that came out a few weeks ago of of all these documents showing how Facebook knew about a lot of the negative impacts their services were having, but hadn't done enough to deal with it. Uh, Robert Thompson also talked about how much bigger Facebook is than News Corp. And he argued that big tech is actually the biggest issue facing media diversity. So very intentionally, he was trying to frame this being like, hang on, hang on, you know, News Corp isn't the issue here. You should be looking at
2: these guys over there. You know, I've got the uh, introductory remarks, the opening statement he made at the Senate inquiry right here. It's really interesting the way he kind of phrases it. He goes, firstly, the digital ecosystem is dysfunctional. While there's undoubted diversity, there's not yet sustainability. Even in new media, ten smart men, women and men could launch a news website in Birmingham, England, or Birmingham, Alabama, and no matter how I don't know why he focused on Birmingham, <laughs> um, and no matter how clever or how canny they would be doomed because content is not properly valued in the digital ad market, lacks transparency. I was thinking about this because I'm right now I'm watching impeachment, the uh, the latest season of the American Crime Story drama, which focuses oh. on the Monica Lewinsky scandal, right. And a big part of that story is Matt Drudge and the Drudge Report, which was basically a guy who just started a website publishing rumors, became a global sensation and influenced American news, American media and American politics. And the question remains, can you see something similar today? And also, should you see something similar today? So it's interesting, he kind of goes down that road. Now, obviously, the you know, the thing a lot of people can criticize him for is saying, look, he's just trying to distract us. He's saying, we're not the problem. Look, the problem's over there. Um, And that's not to dismiss the fact that there isn't actually a problem over there. The, the Digital media and Facebook and social media and everything are a problem. But the way he's framing it, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure whether 10 smart people in Birmingham's you know, Birmingham, Texas, Birmingham, England, Birmingham, you know, India, wherever, can start a website and have it, you know, be influential in the whole world is a good thing or a bad thing still. But his idea seems to be that look, way, you know, big tech is what's stopping it from happening. I don't know. I I think, you know, also mainstream media has also stopped that from happening for a very long time as well. And as we've seen in small town newspapers and and small town publications.
1: Yeah, we, so I'm an internet reporter and I spend a lot of my time thinking Mm -hmm. about big tech and I am personally uh, very receptive to what Robert Thompson was saying about big tech. I think that there are huge problems and uh, we we do need to be doing something about them. And so, you know, when he's talking about ad tech, when he's talking about like, you know, sustainability of newsrooms and digital media, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But that also doesn't, entirely excuse you and and yes. it's, it's 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 very uh beneficial when you're talking to lawmakers the people who are responsible for regulating to point out that actually we're not even really that much of a big deal you should be looking at those guys like the people over there not us what i would recommend is uh is that we'd be looking at uh, both of them i think is probably the answer and 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 you know we've covered this before you know and we're we're really you know beating this dead horse news corp and the tech platforms have these remarkable relationships where News Corp is riding on the back of the success of these tech platforms. You know, they have managed to get money out of them. They've managed to get partnerships where it promotes their content. When big tech is doing well, News Corp, almost out of all mm-hmm. of the media companies in the world, is doing well along with them. So, and and that's the interesting thing is in the um, in Robert Thompson's answers, he also took the time to say, you know, I quite admire Mark Zuckerberg, and I thank them for paying us. They have slightly softened their tone on big tech because they, you know, they they are getting good stuff out of them. They do, they don't want to completely burn the bridge, but what they are trying to do is continue to get, uh, you know, uh, policymakers, the people who are making regulations, to look at uh, to look at big tech rather than them. And if in if in the process they can also make things a little bit better for themselves as well, well, I mean, that's just great. Mm-hmm. And then there was one other thing which I thought was uh, pretty cheeky, actually. Uh, so the 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 Mission Zero, the News Corp's net zero by 2050 campaign also came up uh, from Senators Carr and Senator Sarah Hansen-Young. And what they actually used it to, to do was not to thank News Corp for its sudden progressiveness on climate change. They actually used it to say, well, you know, we talk about media diversity and you say there's more media diversity than ever before. Then how do you explain the fact that all of your major mastheads just decided to do a massive (laughs) climate change campaign? What does this show about the, you know, the lack of media diversity uh, in Australia? And I think, like, unintentionally, like, it, it, it proved their point. Like, clearly... You know, News Corp, you know, in the opening remarks that Robert Thompson made, he made sure to mention, you know, this campaign. He knew that he was speaking to a a committee that has a Green senator, a Labor senator, who are, you know, trying to push the government at the moment on climate change. So he was playing to his audience. But unwittingly, I think it did actually add a little bit of fuel to the fire, being like, if all of a sudden you can make this radical uh, editorial shift in a coordinated fashion, it kind of actually does. The point of your critics,
2: yeah, absolutely, and th- th- that was very clever. Um, you know, uh, t- turning off the well, not I suppose turning off the phrase is the wrong way of describing, but turning off the agenda um, put forward by News Corp to be used against them. But also, I saw them do the same thing. I saw Ro- I saw Robert Thompson do the same thing. Where, if you remember, Vice had come out a few weeks ago with an entire coverage around you know how News Corp itself internally is a very carbon neutral organization that you know aspires. to, was carbon reduction he mentions that within his own opening speech he goes look at how great news corp does when it regards to reducing reductions internally so it's very interesting to see how both robert thompson and the senate inquiry are both using uh new scopes uh, behavior and actions very recently covered as weapons to defend it and to hurt it or attack it rather, um, it, it's it's kind of fascinating. One of the other things I found really interesting was he uses the phrase neo-Malthusian ramblings. For
1: those of you not familiar with the term neo-Malthusian, I think it's the idea of of uh, of population control to limit climate change, which is a kind of uh, it's a, actually kind of an eco-fascist uh, point of uh, a kind of argument that we should. Uh, reduce uh, by often undetermined uh, methods uh, the amount of people, so that we have less of a mm-hmm. consequence on the environment. Which is, we can get into it, but is is actually kind of a bullshit argument. Yes. Um. I I do find though, Sammy, the when when News Corp is is brandishing its environmental, um, you know, uh, uh, the the achievements it is has made its own personal corporate. Um, uh, uh, progress you know that we we have said we want a carbon price you know in in the early 2000s that we have all this solar that is the moment for me when the credibility stretches the most because i'm like you guys know exactly what you're putting to air you guys know that even if you're doing this behind the scenes that's nowhere near as the consequence that you have had on discourse in australia In the US, in the Mm -hmm. UK, I guess as well, about uh, environmental action to deal with climate change, and you know, like we try to be fair, we try to say, like you know, there's great stuff that comes in our news corp, and you know, there's always a, a, you can always still be critical about climate action as long as it's you know done in a way that is contextual and and makes sense. But when they do that, I'm just like, I find it very, very hard to accept that they can say that with a straight face. Absolutely. And uh, finally. Uh, the shortlist for Australian Journalism's top awards, The Walkways, was announced this week. I
2: just want to interrupt over there to say congratulations. (laughs) You're on that shortlist.
1: Thank you. This was not in the script. How dare...
2: (laughs) I know, I just, I was just like, I don't know how you uh, don't mention it, because it is uh, pretty cool that I'm now um, doing a, you know, one of us on this podcast, at least, is a Walkley nominated and potentially Walkley winning uh, journalist, so uh, continue. Uh,
1: yes, yes. Uh, anyway, my, you can't see my cheeks are red, but we'll continue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. Guardian's Amanda Mead reported that notably absent from the Walkley's nomination this year is Sky News Australia, which unlike all the other uh, TV stations, had not a single nomination. Uh, She said, perhaps it's the David Spears effect. Spears was the network's shining star, winning two Walkleys for his interviewing skills. Uh, And the Sky News won at Walkley in 2016 for its election coverage, which meant handing an award to journalism for Tony Abbott's former chief of Staff, Peter Credlin. So they 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 didn't get any nods uh from the Walkley committee. The other notable absence I saw was that uh Sherry Markson uh, did a lot of coverage on uh, on coronavirus, on China's involvement mm-hmm. in it that were, were really, you know, promoted by the uh by the Australian. You know, she's now written a book about it. And I noticed that they were not nominated either, and so we can't know whether they weren't nom- like that whether someone didn't nominate them, which is why they weren't shortlisted but um, it, it did strike me as, as rather odd that these you know these big stories that um, people have questioned the credibility of but have were really promoted as you know international um, breaking scoops uh we're not recognized at all by the Walkley's committee
2: well i mean look neither was any of the work i've done now some would argue that i have done nothing that would be worthy of nominating or even submitting oh, to the Walkleys. But, you know, clearly it's Come a on, bias within the walkways sure no. <laughs> uh, well, i've never submitted <laughs> to the Walkleys. well yeah yet another snub but maybe they're waiting for donald trump's book review <laughs> <laughs> of, of jerry Martin's work but i wouldn't hold um, your breath on that one yeah, look, it, <laughs> It is telling though that David Spears, who was the you know what can be described as a more centrist journalist as opposed to someone with a more um you know obvious bias, uh, that a lot of Newscope journalists have been criticized for. Um, the moment Spears leaves, the Walkleys leave as well. Um, I wonder whether they're going to look then towards finding someone to replace that gap and then therefore. Getting back into that award consideration, or just running a concerted campaign against the Walkleys and how left-wing biased they are, and thus you know destroying the Walkleys' credibility with their fans. Well, I think I
1: think if I'm not mistaken, Sky News hosted the Walkleys last year, so it's. A, and I'm not. I don't mm-hmm. think that, and and that's because I think it was telecast during coronavirus. But I'm not sure that they. It would be quite a heel turn for them to suddenly go from uh, supporting it to you know. Uh, uh, saying that it's a left-wing institution of the elites. But, well, you know, we, we've seen further stretches of the truth before, so maybe that is in in, in the offing.
2: And as always, we like to take a look at an example of Good News Corp, Bad News Corp. So this week's Good News Corp is one that I found, which... Um, it, there's a bit of a irony in there as well, but you know I, I'll give it credit. It's a uh, Katrina Grace Kelly's column in the uh, the Australian this week, which starts with "US has no right to point the mm-hmm. finger at our handling of COVID." which uh, I don't know if you've seen, but, uh, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, Americans suddenly deciding that Australia needs to be mm-hmm. liberated, including very famously Ted Cruz, Republican senator from Texas, who sent out a tweet saying, I love Aussies. The history of rugged independence is legendary. I've always said Australia is the Texas of the Pacific. Really? <laughs> Have you? Really? <laughs> who has ever said that? The COVID tyranny of the current government is disgraceful and sad. Individual liberty matters. I stand with the people of hashtag Australia. Um, And, you know, today we've also seen Candace Owens kind of come out and say that Australia needs to be liberated and, you know, America needs to send an army in to free the Australian people. And uh, basically, Katrina Grace Kelly's written a really nice column that kind of pushes back against the ridiculousness of it all. Um, She also, in that column, defends... Victoria against all the, uh, oh. you know, all the insinuations that we we have a, these African gangs running the street. An insinuation, by the way, that the newspaper she's writing for has helped push for many years. But that's regardless. Um, overall, she says that, you know, the amount of COVID cases we've had, the amount of deaths in COVID we've had, the way we've handled the entire thing actually points to us being a far greater success story than America can ever hope to be. And we're better off um, without America pointing fingers at us. So it was a defense of Australia in the face of American, you know, stupidity that I found refreshing in the papers of, of the Australian given that, you know, it, it's a kind of americanism that normally gets pushed in the papers of the Australian by their Exactly, column.
1: exactly. I, I wonder what their US correspondent Adam Crichton who is uh, very much a booster of America's uh, COVID response and the hundreds of thousands of deaths. I wonder what he thinks of it. I guess
2: we'll... I'm v- Adam Kajima, I'm still I'm still convinced it's just a 4chan bot <laughs> that's got a profile picture. <laughs> um, and so that's the good news Scope The bad news Scope we have is this is... Uh, Des Horton wrote this for the Brisbane Courier Mail. And this probably not going to make Des very popular in Brisbane. Or maybe it mm. will. In uh, the headline is Opinion. I am ashamed to be a Queenslander. We are Australians first and Queenslanders second premier. You are embarrassing yourself, right, Des Horton? Um, And the basic summary of it is that, you know, he's angry with the Queensland uh, Queensland state government, you know, doing all the things it has done to uh, justify its protection of Queenslanders from COVID, like the border closures, etc., And he says, um, I'm going to read over here a quote. He goes, I've come to the unhappy conclusion that I'd rather live in New South Wales than put up with the deceptions any longer. Sydney appeals. So does Armadale. So does Victoria's Yara Valley. I've rejected Melbourne as a relocation option for fear of being cut down in gangland Uh... crossfire. (laughs) Once a
1: Queenslander, always a Queenslander, Des. Des is, uh, he (laughs) is News Corp... uh, royalty in fact his son is the digital editor for sky news australia so they are that oh. he has long been a uh, stalwart of news corp in uh, queensland so he his uh, mm-hmm. his threat to pull up stumps would uh, would take away some of the heft of their um, of our, our,
2: our Queensland friends,
1: who I know you're very fond of.
2: <laughs> oh, you know how much I love Queensland. By the way, I always joke. I mean, it's a beautiful state with the dumbest people in the country. That's fine. <laughs> um, LNP Senator James McGrath, another quote, called the OIA the Gestapo of local government in Queensland, agreed that's the last line of the uh, column which is basically less a column more a collection of tweets really if you look at the way it's written so yeah that's a very standard old school news scope publication exactly
1: <laughs> and i agree uh sammy bad take we should be proud to be queenslanders if we are am i right
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely i mean look if it comes down to it i will defend queensland if america ever invades <laughs> just as much a defender i just want to put that out there if you're as mystified by News Corp's sudden change in focus on climate change, where it's gone from being critical of it to suddenly advocating for man-made climate change and, and, and you know net zero and all these things, then maybe Dr. Gabby Makata is going to be able to help a little bit. Gabby Makata is a research fellow in climate change communication with the Center for Climate Futures Program at the University of Tasmania and also a lecturer in communication journalism at Deakin University. So two hats being worn, both of them perfect for what we he want to to ask her about thank you so much for joining us gabby that's a pleasure good morning
0: hello um
2: gabby you you've worked
1: as a journalist but you've you've taken that hat off and you're now primarily or you are an academic um can you take us on a step back to look at the bigger picture what do we know about how people learn about climate change generally
0: yeah it's a good question um the the crux of it is that most people get their understanding of climate change from the media which means that uh, whatever conversations are going on, whatever discourses we're seeing in the media um, are really important for the way that people understand this really crucial issue that confronts us and and needs such um, profound and also very rapid solutions. So um, the way that the media frame climate change uh, generally, uh, any media, um, really has an influence over how people understand climate change, what they think about what needs to be done and their acceptance, I think, of any measures in, imposed by governments or, um, uh, you know, uh, measures that we decide to take personally in order to um, reduce our impact on the planet. So re- it's really important, really fundamental. Media construct our reality. They construct what we understand to be true. Um, and so the way we see climate change change as a debate play out in the media, is really fundamental.
2: How influential has their particular stance on climate change been in your
0: estimation? So the Murdoch Media, the News Corp um, Media Group? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, um, I think both consumers of media and people who study it like I do Um, in fact, I do both, um, would have noticed for many years the particular stance that News Corp has taken. So um, I think it's probably quite well known and well accepted that there's been a a climate contrarian or indeed a climate denialist stance that we've seen from News Corp um, for well over a decade, almost two decades. Um, That's been well established in in public commentary and research. And, you know, we've seen... Um, particular terms being applied to those who argue for climate action, things like um, those arguing for climate action being called alarmists. We've heard them being called loons, you know, crazy loons. Um, people uh, that are doing, you know, advocating for for change on climate change that they're that they're they've got warming hysteria, if you like. Um, it's also been called so climate change has also been called a cult of the elite, and. Um, Commentators from the News Corp stable have have, have also said the, that the effects of global warming have really proved largely benign. So we've heard that kind of rhetoric, um, but also in 2019 we've heard Murdoch himself say that there are no climate no climate change deniers uh, at News Corp. On the other hand, we've also you know in as a in a long term way we've seen News Corp um, outlets effectively campaign against um, Australian leaders who have tried to. Um, Move forward action that we need to see on climate change, um, putting a price on carbon pollution and so on. Um, and, you know, Malcolm Turnbull uh, back in uh, 20, 2021, earlier this year, um, said that News Corp is, in fact, the most powerful political actor in Australia. And it's certainly been implicated in, t- in toppling um, several of our previous prime ministers as a result of their climate stance. So incredibly powerful um and a profound influence on on both the climate debate and our political culture and the way politics plays out um, in this country
1: Gabby when you saw when you first saw about this campaign i'm not sure if you saw it in nine papers or when news corp itself published something about it were you surprised to see them uh i guess do this heel turn
0: I- Personally, I was surprised. Um, I first saw it. Uh, I'm coming to you from Hobart, and I first saw it in the uh, the Mercury, which is um, a News Corp owned paper down here um, in Tasmania. Um, what that paper had, as all the other uh, News Corp tabloids did have on the first day of the campaign, was a sixteen page wrap around um, for the usual for the usual um, you know publication of the paper. Are uh, all dedicated to climate change, uh, which was absolutely a first and quite astounding. So I'm not, I don't usually buy um, the print version of the newspaper, but I bought it that day.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to see. How did you see News Corp selling its campaign? Because, you know, straight up it said, not only are we doing this campaign, but here's what we're going to do. How were they trying to frame their role uh, now, I guess?
0: Mm. yeah it's really interesting um, you can see this online still, and um this came through also in the print publications um uh, basically criticizing uh you know the three major political parties for their roles in not having <laughs> um been able to bring in uh, successfully bring in any controls to um to carbon emissions um and saying well you know we're the adults in the room, and we now will solve this um, and so this is our solution. We are going to put solutions forward. So this is News Corp suggesting that it, after all these years of climate denialism, can make a change on climate change. So, so that was really surprising, really, really surprising. Um, and, and then also what's been surprising is um, after years of saying that um, the, the necessary changes that we need to make to cut emissions, uh, that these changes would be a job killer in Australia, and that they, that um, a carbon tax would be or decarbonisation would be too expensive. That it tagged uh, so News Corp tagged decarbonisation for Australia back in 2015 as as costing 600 billion dollars. There's a complete about turn on this now. Um, so with that with this campaign, the uh, Mission Zero 2050 campaign, as it's called, now saying that the um, that decarbonisation could be a potential windfall of 2.1 trillion dollars. Australia, and that would offer um, 672,000 new jobs by 2050. So complete about yeah, turn, at least on around. jobs, yeah, and at least on the economic um, ramifications of decarbonisation.
2: So at this point, we, you know, we seem to be getting the thing we've all been hoping for for so long, which is the new scope finally stops denying climate change, man-made climate change, starts getting on the right side of history, starts advocating for the change we need. Why aren't we happier about this? Why are we so cautiously skeptical? If I may,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And there's been a lot of commentary um, in the media actually about what this all means, why it's coming now, and and you know how should we how should we feel about this about turn? Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things is that there's no mention in the new campaign. Um, about what News Corp's done in the past. So there's no mention of the company's years of intentionally undermining decarbonisation and no mention of the way it's helped to topple Australian leaders, leaders who have advocated for, for climate action. So those are are really loud silences, if you like. Um, and um, also, it you know, it hasn't mu- muzzled its commentators in any way. So um, people like Andrew Bolt were very quick to come out and say uh, this campaign is rubbish. Um, and you know, even my own company's against me now, but I'm telling you the truth. Um, and uh equally News Corp hasn't aligned its advertising particularly well with these new messages because on the third day of the campaign, um the Herald Sun, for example, ran a half page ad by the Climate Study Group, which is a climate skeptical in in um uh quotation marks, uh sort of right wing linked uh climate uh Disc- climate science discrediting group um, that talked about the great climate change furphy and was decrediting, cl- discrediting climate science in that ad and advocating for more coal and nuclear power. So we can um, discern in the general narrative now that we've seen two weeks of it run out, we can discern some particular um, uh, sort of tropes, some ways of talking about climate change, which do show that there's a bit of a business as usual push to this.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear about that because that's the thing, you know, the top level is that we we were doing something about climate change now, but of course there is so much within uh, what comes under the category of climate change action. And, you know, knowing what we know about, you know, the IPCC report that came out recently telling us the kind of drastic action that we need to take, What did we see from what they were trying to put forward? And they said, we were just going to do positive messages. What are the positive messages about? Well,
0: that's exactly right. They've said, um, so so interestingly, the campaign, in fact, one of the sort of campaign bylines is about putting Australia first, which may sound positive, but uh, we need to point out that any effort to deal with climate change has to be inherently global because it's a global issue um so there's that but then there's also if you dig a little deeper you'll see that despite the the sort of glossy feel of the campaign and the the fact that it it has taken a positive stance on the fact that now climate change adapting to sorry mitigating climate change can be good for australia in terms of job creation and actually economic growth there's a bit more if you dig a bit deeper so that so what we've seen is um a a defence of basically Australia's small amount of emissions compared to other countries, especially China, um, which, you know, therefore suggests we don't need to take the drastic action that other countries need to take because our emissions are smaller. And that's a very old narrative we've been, we've seen in media and in climate delay tactics for a very long time. That's still there. We've also seen a lot of talk about renewables in the campaign, but there's also been some framing of renewables as as an unrealistic, sorry, an unreliable source of energy um, and therefore not a, an adequate replacement for fossil fuels. Um, there's also been talk about how Australia's coal is cleaner than other countries' coal, which some of it, some of it may be, um, cleaner in the sense that when burned, emits less carbon dioxide. Um, however, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, in a major report earlier this year, year said that everyone, all countries need to start quitting coal now if we're to stay within safer global warming limits. Um, Of course, sort of backing the uh, gas-led recovery rhetoric that we've seen from the Morrison government, um, the campaign also promotes gas um, and promotes it as having half the emissions of coal, which uh, which is correct. Uh, however, burning gas, um, it, uh, although it emits less carbon dioxide, it allows for fugitive emissions, which means emissions of methane itself that escape during the extraction process. When that gets into the atmosphere, it's 30 times more powerful as a heat-trapping gas than carbon dioxide over 100 years um, so there's that. And then we've also seen quite a lot of advocacy in the campaign for CCS, carbon capture and storage, which means trying to capture the carbon dioxide that's that's emitted when burning fossil fuels. This is not yet a proven way to reduce emissions from burning fossil fuels. It's not feasible at scale. Um, and we've also seen, of course, criticism of the carbon pollution Price and um, economists widely agree that this is the most effective way to encourage polluters to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So we've seen that old trope also um, rolled out. And and finally, and maybe most surprisingly, the campaign does make a big effort to spruik to spruik nuclear power. So um, and this is quite surprising. It says that you know we we should be using nuclear. That our aversion to it defies logic. Um, that we need it for national security as well as energy. Um, And so that has actually been quite a large focus of the campaign as well, Um, despite the fact that that modelling shows that this is just not going to be an appropriate way to decarbonise our economies um, and uh, reduce emissions in time um, for the end of this decade as we need to do. So um, those are some of the kind of the tropes and the ongoing business-as-usual rhetorics that we've seen. So,
2: I'm going to ask you to do something which you might be uncomfortable doing, but I think it's worth it as a thought ex- exercise. Just speculating why do you think they're doing this? I mean, may have they been convinced by the growing evidence? You know Rupert Murdoch has said more than once that he himself is not skeptical about climate change. We've seen stories coming out about climate change, uh related policies being made within Newscope about how Newscope runs itself um you know have they have they seen the evidence and decided you know what this makes a good point is this a good thing or what's their motivation you think
0: i think it's a really good question and i am happy to speculate about it um i think that it's probably quite clear it's probably it it's two or three things the first is a public opinion um public opinion polls on concern about climate change and the um the push for action on climate change in Australia showed that and have consistently shown over several years now that always above 70 and sometimes into the 80, 80% 80 of, um, of Australians are concerned about climate change and want to see action. So it's a vast majority. And so News Corp's rhetoric that we've seen on climate change is, is simply out of sync with what most people think and what most people want to see. Um, and so you've got to work to your audience, you know, uh, work work to to what what the public um, public mood is on issues like this. So I think that's one of the reasons for the for the about face or the U turn, and the other is of course um, that advertisers are what make a media outlet profitable, and so uh, if you are uh, you know if you're spouting kind of rhetoric that is. Um, not palatable to the majority of your audience. You are also going to be losing advertisers who aren't keen to be aligned with that kind of that kind of position on climate change. So, I would say those are two things. And then, thirdly, of course, as we know, Scott Morrison right now is trying to negotiate with the Nationals ahead of the COP twenty six conference to at least be able to t- to take a very minimal offering of a symbolic commitment to reaching net zero by twenty fifty. At least that. Um, and and so, I think it's this campaign has been positioned right now to show uh, Morris, the Morrison government that this most po- powerful political actor in Australia, as, as Malcolm Turnbull has termed it, termed it, will not now campaign against a, a twenty fifty a net twenty fifty goal, um, and, and so that you know Morrison can go ahead and make that declaration. Um so I think those are the three key reasons for why we're seeing this now.
1: Gabby, do you know anything about how audiences would understand these messages from the campaign? Like I know there's there's studies done about what kind of messaging changes people's minds around these kinds of things. The 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 narratives that you discussed before that have been rolled out as part of Mission 0 do you think that they will be effective in making any change? Like, you know, is is there an argument that their kind of, uh, I guess, fairly pedestrian uh, pace on this may also be um, more palatable to their audience, who may already be kind of climate skeptical?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think some 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 parts of the audience that they're quite large national um, public. We'll be will be baffled as to what's actually going on you know why this why now why the about face <laughs> um, and and I've seen yeah I've seen some commentary on social media that's really slammed the campaign um so some people are not happy about it others are probably baffled um I think that um, certainly the media has a really important role to play in in uh, educating people about climate change and and if people are getting their main information, on climate change from the Mur- Murdoch tabloids, then certainly they, you know, they stand to, to learn more and to know more, which is great. Um, but I'd also like to add that that climate sceptic portion of, of the Australian public is, is actually really small. Um, uh, audience segmentation studies have shown that around 10% or even less of Australians are truly climate sceptics um, or climate deniers and, and don't believe the science of climate change, despite the fact it's very much settles, especially since the last IPCC report that you mentioned. So actually, Australians do understand what the issues are and they do want to see action. Um, and that minority that doesn't is, is a small minority, um, if a vociferous allowed one.
1: That was Dr. Gabby Mercado speaking to us about Mission Zero, News Corp's Net Zero by 2050 campaign. Sammy, that's it for this week. Uh, We should do our usual reminders. If you haven't already subscribed, please do. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere. And please, come and join our little podcast Facebook group. It's Murdocracy Podcast. And uh, we we pop things in there throughout the week. So, you know, you can keep on the
2: the conversation going there about News score. Oh, one thing, one of my friends uh, told me that he couldn't find the Murdocracy Podcast, and uh, the Facebook group, rather. And I realized it's because he's spelling it Murdocracy with a C-H at the end of Murdoch. Um, oh yes, of even course. I realised that. So it's Murdocracy, M-U-R-D-O-C-R-A-C-Y podcast. We dropped the H, basically. We dropped the H. Yeah, absolutely. Or H, if as we used to say back in WA. Yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to Kevin Mcleod for the theme music, Ruby Innes for our artwork,
2: and of course, thanks to you, Sam. Thanks very much, Cam. Bye. Bye. Bye.